Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 558. And today, we're going to be talking about a new way to source products not using Alibaba. Yes, you heard that right. And how you can find more products, not be relying on just China, by the way, and also potentially more profits. Who wouldn't want all of that? Well, I would, and I think you would as well. Well, I've invited on a guest who actually has a unique story and kind of how he got into this whole thing. He's going to open our eyes to this this entirely new world of sourcing and give us some tips as well and what we should be looking for when we are out there sourcing and things to kind of look out for. And his name is Nathan Resnick. Great guy, young guy. I met him uh, actually at Sellers Summit with Steve Chu. Great guy. I had the intro and then him and I just, we just started just talking and we just had a great conversation just about life in general, but then also about this business. And then it just turned into talking about sourcing and, and kind of what he specializes in. So I said, you know what, we got to get you on the show. And um, through going back and forth with our schedules and everything, it's finally going to happen. And after I had this conversation with him and we uh, we just wrapped up this uh, this interview Man, I have to say, my wheels are spinning, and he gave me a lot to think about, and there's definitely some things that I'm going to be doing moving forward, and possibly even increasing our profits, which I think that's one big one, and then not relying on just one factory. Like right now, if you're relying on just one factory, it's kind of like just relying on one channel, right? If you're only relying on Amazon as your channel, well, we all know you better start figuring out that next channel, right? Whether that's an email list, whether that's, you know, uh, maybe it's your own Shopify store, your website, where you're maybe creating your own funnel, maybe your own sales, like whatever it is, eBay, Etsy, whatever it is, we all know that you want that, right? Well, the same thing goes with sourcing your products and finding a supplier, but then from there, finding not just one, but a couple. This way here, if anything happens, you know, to that manufacturer, I mean, God forbid something bad happens to their factory or something, they can't produce your goods anymore. You're kind of out of business in a sense until you can find a new one, right? Same idea. And he gives us a lot to think about and uh, really excited for you to hear this. Now, before we do jump into this interview, which I'm excited for you to hear, I did want to remind you on the show notes, they can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 558. Again, that is theamazingseller.com forward slash 558. And then the other thing I do, I just want to throw this in here. I've had some people reach out to me and ask me about this whole private client work that we're doing or our inner circle. And a lot of it has to do with what we're talking about here even today, like how to diversify your business and and uh, and really how to secure your business for the future. And I've had some people reach out and ask me about that. If you want more information about working with myself and my team directly, now again, this is very limited to uh, only a small group of businesses or people people that we work with every single year. It's what we call our TAS inner circle. If you're interested in seeing if, even if you qualify at this point in your business to be, uh, to be working with us a little bit more closely where we can kind of help you, uh, diversify and, and really build out your brand. And, uh, and if you want information on that, definitely head over to TASinnercircle.com. Again, that's TASinnercircle.com and you can get all the details there. Again, it's not for everyone. You have to be at a certain level.
level of business. You have to have some momentum and you have to be uh, willing to go out there and uh, and put in the work um, from what we prescribe during our mastermind meetings and our inner circle meetings and all of that. So definitely go check that out if you're interested. But it's really aligned with what we're talking about today about diversifying and really finding uh, other suppliers, but also strengthening our brand and not being relying on just one channel or in this case, one supplier. So I'm going to stop talking now so you can enjoy this conversation, deep conversation about sourcing that I had with my good friend, Nathan Resnick. Enjoy. Well, hey, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What's up, man? How you doing? Scott, what's going on? Thanks so much for having me. No, no, this is going to be fun, man. And I know we've uh, we've been discussing getting you on, and we've kind of been going back and forth. And our mutual friend uh, Steve Chu, I met you at uh, Sellers Summit, and uh, we had a great conversation there. And uh, yeah, I mean, now we finally get to to kind of dig in here and talk about this whole sourcing thing, which could be a uh, which could be a process and, and a problem for a lot of people. But um, yeah, I'm excited to have you on, man. And I, I really just want to dig into. Uh, sourcing and kind of like the pitfalls, but then also what you've done and, uh, you know, to kind of make this a little bit of an easier process, actually uh, a lot, <laughs> a better yeah, process. Totally. Yeah. So why, why don't we just get a little bit of your backstory? Who's Nathan? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, people always ask, how's this white guy end up in China? And you know, <laughs> for me, it actually ended up uh, being in high school. I was a foreign exchange student there in high school, living with a host family that didn't speak English, attending a local Chinese high school. And this was my junior year of high school. So I was literally one of 48 American high school students to fully immerse in China. And it was an incredibly eye-opening experience. I mean, I'd come home uh, for dinner and some days there'd be live fish in the sink, you know, have incredible food. It's really good food there. You know, it's a lot different than the Chinese food we have here in America. And once you know what to order, you know, you're really going to love it. But, uh, you know, it was just an incredible experience. And so during that year, um, this was about 10 years ago, I would go to these markets, you know, the silk market or pearl market in Beijing for people who have been there. And at the time they were selling all these knockoff items. And so my buddies and I in high school, we'd go over there, you know, buy these products and resell them on Amazon and eBay. And I'll I'll tell you, our best selling product uh, was the Beats by Dr. Dre headphone. And we would take these headphones that, you know, literally the quality was like the same. I mean, these could have been runoff from the the same factory where they were overproducing. And we'd buy these headphones for, you know, 30, 40 bucks at these markets, resell them on eBay for two, three hundred dollars. And in high school, we're making a few thousand bucks a month. I mean, it was pretty fun. And so then, you know, obviously, I soon realized that I was infringing on other people's IP and had to go out and create my own products, which, you know, I do recommend every uh, e-commerce entrepreneur do. But, you know, basically in college, uh, ended up inventing the first leather watch strap without holes. It worked like a zip tie, like a belt buckle. And, you know, we grew that to a six figure Shopify store. And for me, you know, I was always super excited by the supply chain side of the business. Number one, you know, I speak Mandarin fluently. Number two, I just love to figure out how much these these products should actually cost to produce. And so, you know, as these uh, Shopify stores grew, uh, companies and people began to ask me, you know, Nathan, how do you produce products overseas effectively? And I realized there was this huge gap in the market where, you know, right now, 90% of companies in the world manage production over email and Excel. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, I started a company called Sourceify, 
We've since become the fastest growing B2B manufacturing platform. And we enable companies, you know, both small and big. And by big, I mean as big as, you know, like Traeger Grills. They do over 300 million in revenue to start using software to manage production. So you don't have to send, you know, 300 emails to go back and forth through a production run. And really it adds transparency and visibility to your supply chain. So super excited to dive in and really talk about how you can actually, you know, bring your own product to life and what flaws you should look out for in a factory. Wow. That's uh, that's quite a story, man. And I, I want to dig in a little bit more to being a foreign exchange student. How did that happen? Number one, like, was it something you wanted to do your parents? Or what? <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't have a tiger mom, you know, I don't have a, a Chinese mother or anything. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, really what it was is I started studying Mandarin my freshman year of high school and I just became really interested in the language and the culture. And so my neighbor did this immersion program the year before me and he came back. You know, he took me to lunch at this Chinese restaurant. He's speaking, you know, near fluent Mandarin to the waiter. I'm like, man, this is incredible. You know, number one, your Mandarin is incredible. And number two, the experience that he had was was amazing. I mean, I had an older sister in high school. Um, I knew what I was going to do, you know, my junior year of high school back in Maryland where I grew up and, you know, really just kind of uh, went all in. You know, it's kind of funny because at first my mother was like, oh, you should do this. And then when I got in and she realized I'd be away from home for a full year, she was like, oh, no, you shouldn't go. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I mean, I give you a lot of credit. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. And uh, and like you said, it was just something that you you wanted to do. The other thing I want to ask you, okay, say something in Mandarin then I want to hear. Come on, you speak to me. Uh, said we're uh, just having a conversation now. Wow. So how how long did it take you to be able to do that? Was it more of you being there? Yeah, 100%. I mean, here's the thing. If you want to go learn any language, you've got to go to a country that speaks it. And, you know, to, to, to be honest, like for me being there, I, I immersed myself. I lived with a host family that literally didn't speak English. I mean, my host mom could say hello and how are you? And, you know, my host brother was studying English in, in uh, his middle school. So I was helping him a bit with his English. But, you know, at the end of the day to get around and especially where I was about, you know, half hour or so outside the main city of Beijing, there wasn't that many foreigners there necessarily. And at the time, you know, as a foreigner there, you know, 10 years ago, people would be, you know, pointing at you, la why, la why, you know, they'd be very interested and mm. curious to see what you were doing there. You know, now China has developed and become so globalized, which I think is great. But, you know, you also don't get as much uh, attention there as you used to as a foreigner. Wow. OK. So they were very interested, too, and in probably just your, you know, your background, but your culture and all that stuff, too. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, now when you speak Mandarin there now, do you still sound foreign, do you think, to them? Or do you, um, you know, so this my, my my I think everyone's language ability fluctuates based on how much they speak it. And mm-hmm. for me right now, I go to China uh, about once a month or once every other month to our office in Guangzhou. And it, it fluctuates, you know, sometimes like, for example, when I was back there uh, about when I was back there, when I when I graduated high school, me and my buddies did like a three month uh, backpacking trip across China. And we're on this you know 10 hour train ride. And I remember probably the best compliment I've gotten in my life is I'm speaking to this this uh, Chinese guy in Mandarin. And he goes, you know, after our hour long conversation or so, he goes, you know, Nathan, if I couldn't see the color of your skin, I would think you were Chinese. And I was really? like, 
I mean, this is freaking incredible. And, and, you know, my writing is definitely not good as my speaking or listening, but I think the key to any language is communication. And if you can, you know, talk and, and be able to listen, then, you know, I, I would consider yourself near fluent. I mean, writing, wow. uh, especially in Mandarin is quite a challenge. I bet it is, man. I, whenever I've looked at that, I'm like, it's like drawing pictures. Yeah. You know what I mean, like literally like, man, but I guess it's again, whatever you're accustomed to. And if you're brought up with it, it becomes easier, but you actually, you, you, you kind of went the opposite way, which is, that's even harder. So awesome. I congratulate you on that. It's awesome. Uh, cool. So, all right, let's talk about this sourcing thing. Um, and, and kind of like why you decided to create the, the system and even the software and, and kind of like take us through the process. But then I also want to give people some some tips that they can use, whether they use your company or not. I want them to get some value here as far as what they should be prepared or what they should ask, you know, like anything that you can help us, um, mm -hmm. you know, communicate. And, and even like, I mean, the first place a lot of people will go is, is Alibaba. I mean, I've done it. Um, but we've actually found an agent through there and now we kind of speak off of Alibaba to our mm -hmm. agent. And now that person, actually that the one that we have is actually, she left their company, but we basically hired her to kind of now work for us privately. So now nice. she kind of goes to other, so she's taken train rides for us to other factories done, you know, kind of like looking it over and stuff. So we've, we kind of lucked out there. It's not always mm -hmm. going to happen that way. Um, so kind of take me through that, you know, I guess the process. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, just like you said right now, I would say the vast majority of people that are looking to produce products, they're going on these open marketplaces like Alibaba, like Global Sources, you know, maybe MadeInChina.com. And there's a lot of them out there. And I think right off the bat, what I want to point out that a lot of, you know, Western e-commerce entrepreneurs don't understand is, is really how a factory grows. And if you're a factory right now, how do you get new business? You're either signing up for these online marketplaces like Alibaba, where you're probably spending fifty to a hundred thousand dollars or so to rank for these keywords. Because you know Alibaba, when you search, let's say watches or hats, you know the ranking of these factories is all pay to play. It's almost in some sense like ranking a product on Amazon. And so these factories are spending money to rank for these keywords. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that the you know factory that comes up first for a certain keyword is the best. It just means that they're willing to pay the most to rank for that keyword and, and be on that number one spot. Um, and, and so from a factory perspective, for them to get new business, these marketplaces are one of their best options. But the problem is all of the smart factories know that if they get, you know, 100 leads or so through Alibaba, maybe two to three percent actually convert. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it so all of these factories have, you know, sales teams of 10, 20, you know, 30 plus people that are trying to qualify these leads coming in. And by these leads, I literally mean you as an e-commerce entrepreneur, you know, typing in a message and asking a few questions about the factory. And then you're judging, you know, the response time uh, and the, really the communication ability of this sales rep that you're talking to. And, and so really um, the other option is trade shows. You know, just uh, this week is uh, sourcing direct at ASD Market Week in Las Vegas. I was there uh, Sunday and Monday of this week. And it's, you know, an interesting dynamic for factories to fly over, you know, set up a booth. And even at these trade shows, a lot of times they're bringing products from other factories or they're trading companies, you know, they aren't even actual factories. And so I think, you know, right off the bat, what I want to bring up is from a business perspective, you as an e-commerce entrepreneur should understand how these factories grow. And so those are really the two ways. Um, and, and so what you know we realize and what I realize at, at Sourceify is that 
we wanted to become their best source of business. So what we do is basically qualify all of the business that we're bringing to our partner factories before we send out this request for a quote. Um, and just briefly, the way our system works is a company, you know, submits their product specs. They don't actually search. We're not like an open marketplace per se. They submit their product specs of what they want to manufacture. That goes out just to our partner factories in that product category. And they see that request for quote, submit back price quotes. You see the price quotes and then can get linked up to start sampling and manufacturing your products through our software. So it kind of cuts out that, you know, trying to find a factory dynamic and enables you to have a lot more visibility in your production run. Um, but, you know, really on Alibaba, I think at least today, most people should know that there are, you know, I would say about 70 or 75 percent or so where trading companies or wholesalers or agents. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. You know, if you're an e-commerce entrepreneur and you know you want to launch, you know, 100 different SKUs, sometimes a trading company may, might make sense for you because if you have to work with individual factories, you should know that a factory that produces sunglasses is not going to be producing watches. You know, every factory their capabilities stem from the raw material. And so mm -hmm. if they're saying that they can produce, you know, sunglasses, well, you know, they're dealing in that product category and they might not only be able to, you know, produce plastic sunglasses, they might not have bamboo or wooden sunglasses, you know. So you really have to keep an eye out for these factories because at the end of the day, they want to get as much business as they can. And if they say, oh, yeah, we can do, you know, sunglasses, watches and, and backpacks, well, at the end of the day, they can probably only do one of those product categories in their own facility. And what they're doing is shopping out, you know, those two other products to their friend's factory and, and probably taking a bit of a margin. Um, you know, the average factory margin really fluctuates based on the volume. I would say at scale, let's say a factory is working with a big retailer like Walmart. Maybe they're making about a 10 percent margin. But for an e-commerce entrepreneur, uh, a lot of times at a lower volume, you know, factories are making 30, sometimes even 40% margin. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Um, and, and I think really what I would like to do is, is dive into how you can actually try to understand uh, how much a factory is paying or, or should be paying uh, to produce your product. I, I think that's a great place to go. And, you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, there's, you know, there's Alibaba makes it easy you know, for us to go there. But like you said, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of digging and you're going to have to do a lot of your own research. And hopefully mm -hmm. you can stumble on like, like we did in this one case, right? We have a, we have our own agent now that basically works for us and they get paid per piece. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're not paying on top of that. And she went directly to the source. She also speaks um, Mandarin, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't have to worry. And a lot of the factories won't, they won't talk to you if you don't speak the language. So you need that middle, that middle person. Um, right. So what, if, if I'm understanding this correctly though, so what you've kind of done is you've kind of recruited the best factories in these certain categories. And then if I submit something and I'm going to be selling a garlic press mm -hmm. and I want to get the best price on a garlic press, we would take that information and then it would get pushed out to, or sent to, the factories that you guys have already kind of vetted out and that you've already kind of partnered with in a sense. And then from there, they're the ones that are going to give us the quotes back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's, really, you know, the biggest dynamic there. Um, you know, for us, we have boots on the ground in China and in the Philippines um, and India. I mean, we do production runs uh, across Asia in, in six countries. So Thailand, Vietnam, India, uh, China and Bangladesh. Um, and it's, you know, I think another subject that we should bring up later is, you know, the diversity, like how 
products are now moving outside of China. And, you know, everyone's talking about Vietnam. Everyone's talking about uh, India. You know, a lot of times when you break down the actual unit cost, which we'll dive into now, you know, you can understand why a lot of uh, these companies, especially at scale, you know, Nike and, and Adidas have been producing in Pakistan for years. You know, that's where they produce a lot of their soccer balls and, and some of their apparel. Um, and very few e-commerce entrepreneurs that I know are producing in, in Pakistan, you know. Mm. So your company will connect to those other those other marketplaces or those other countries? Yeah, it's global. I mean, I was in the Philippines last week. You know, we actually might be opening up our own facility there. And really the whole dynamic is like when you break down your unit cost, like let's say as an e-commerce entrepreneur, you want to try to estimate how much a factory is paying for this product. You actually have to break down the specific pieces that go into producing that product. So, uh, you like let's say you're trying to sell watches. You're trying to you know sell watches online, and you're mm-hmm. looking to produce watches. There are so many little pieces that go into a watch. I'm talking the watch hands, the watch movement, the watch strap, the watch case. You know, all of these little pieces make up that actual part. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with your factory you're actually dealing with the assembly factory. And it's same with even apparel. You know, when you're communicating with a factory, you're communicating with the cut and sew factory. You usually aren't communicating directly with the fabric source. And so, uh, you know, watches are a great example because the supply chain is usually so diverse where all of these little watch pieces will come from specific factories that just focus on producing the watch hands or watch strap. I mean, all of these little pieces make up your product. Mm-hmm. But so the assembly factory that you're dealing with is going to have their own supply chain. And that's why a lot of times, you know, when when a factory is quoting uh, your, your production run, the lead times, you know, might be 30, 40, you know, sometimes even 60 days because they have to really calculate and understand how long it's going to take some of their uh, sub factories, you know, sub suppliers to get in these specific parts. And they also have to, you know, understand the margin. I mean, that's why a lot of these factories have great relationships with these smaller factories. And I think really, you know, until you get to scale where you're spending at least six figures a year on production, it's not going to make too much sense to dive into these specific uh, component parts. But a lot of times, you know, especially as you get to scale, it makes sense to dive in and actually understand the specific unit cost behind each part of your product. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're starting out or just growing, you know, a lot of times it's really just the best bet to deal directly with the assembly factory. But so by understanding the unit cost and really the uh, cost that makes up each piece to produce your product, you're able to understand that that really baseline price. And, you know, until you start taking up more and more capacity at a factory, it's very rare that they'll be, you know, transparent with you about this. Um, But, you know, if you're just starting and looking to go into a new product category and you aren't really sure how much you should be paying for the product, one of the great ways to kind of set a benchmark is, you know, just type in your product to Google Translate, uh, you know, copy and paste the Google Translated uh, version of your product into Mandarin and take that Mandarin version and put it into a you know Chinese marketplace called 1688.com. It's like a kind of like a Chinese sort of Amazon in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically you can paste that product in there and then see uh, the prices that Chinese uh, people are paying for these products. And a lot of times they're a fifth or a tenth of what we pay here in America. So you can really understand, you know, okay, well, these are what Chinese consumers are paying for this product. How much do I think I should be paying as an American company that's looking to produce some sort of customized version of this product? 
Um, and, and so really kind of take that benchmark number and then it will enable you to have a baseline of what you should be paying for these products. And I think too, you know, a lot of times on Shopify, uh, for example, most e-commerce entrepreneurs are going to want to shoot for like a 75 to 80% gross margin, which means, you know, if you're spending, uh, excuse me, if you're selling your product for a hundred dollars, you want to be spending, uh, you know, under 20 or $25, uh, to produce that product. And, and even at scale, a lot of these companies like you know, Movement Watch is one of the fastest growing Shopify stores that's done over $100 million in the past, you know, five years of business. You know, they, their, their gross margin, I mean, we estimate that they spend about $10.70 for their baseline watches. And so a lot of times you're talking about, you know, almost a 90% gross margin, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing. But as an e-commerce entrepreneur, you know, your goal is to become profitable. And, and really what that means in my mind is your gross margin minus your cost of acquisition. You know, if your uh, gross margin is, is, is that if that number is higher than your cost of acquisition, then you'll be profitable. But if it costs you too much to acquire a customer, whether it be through, you know, social media or SEO or whatever channel you're utilizing, then at the end of the day, you aren't going to be profitable. And there's also, you know, so many operational costs that we can dive into, whether it be freight forwarding or duties or all that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, one of the biggest costs to produce these products is the actual labor costs. And so when you look at countries like Vietnam or the Philippines, you know, the Philippines, as an example, I was in Manila and Zambonga last week, and the labor rates there right now are at least half or even a third of what they are in some major areas of China. And by major areas, I mean, you know, the Guangdong, Guangzhou area that a lot of people have factories in. Um, And it's crazy. I mean, it's the going wage in the Philippines right now for a factory worker is about $6 a day, which, you know, sounds extremely low, but, you know, their cost of living is also very low. And and, and so uh, we were visiting and checking out a lot of facilities across the Philippines and, you know, labor wise for company or for products like uh, all sorts of apparel items, you know, when, when labor cost is, is basically, you know, what's making up the main unit cost, it makes a lot of sense to transition out of China and go into some of these other countries that have lower labor rates. And, you know, you flash back to China 10 years ago, you know, they were competitive uh, labor cost wise with the Philippines and Vietnam and, and, and India. But now, you know, China has become so developed and, and you know, the infrastructure there is great. Uh, it just makes it more expensive. And, and I think from an e-commerce entrepreneur standpoint, you know, when you look at a supply chain and when we look at a supply chain at Sourceify, we look at three things. We look at number one, the price, the unit price to produce the product. Number two, the lead time, you know, how long does it take to produce this product? And number three, the quality. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to produce a product for the, you know, best price, the fastest lead time and the highest quality. And those three pillars really make up your supply chain. And so, for example, let's say you're producing in the Philippines or, or, or Vietnam, like in the Philippines, most products are shipped FOB Manila, which means that if you're working with a factory that's not in Manila, you know, they then have to coordinate the freight from their city to Manila. And, you know, if you're shipping a container that can take, you know, a week. So that's an added week to your lead time to actually get your product into your warehouse or, you know, Amazon FBA. And, and so at the end of the day, it's it's a balance. You know, there's never uh, a you know, one size fits all solution when it comes to manufacturing or sourcing. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're able to to really, you know, cut your costs by even, you know, 10 or 20 percent, 
it can you know drastically uh, improve your business because I think in the e-commerce world, the company that's able to you know spend the most to acquire a customer and still be profitable is the one that's going to win. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And man, that's uh, that's a that's a lot of great information that you just shared. And uh, you know, I think for for me, looking at and kind of hearing what you're saying is like, yes, if you're just starting out you probably can expect to pay more because you're not going to be buying the quantities that you can. But with that being said, you can probably, uh, you know, go through a system or, a, a you know, even a tool like yours or in that process. And then possibly you could even start lower than you would have if you just would have went straight, yeah. straight to the factory or not yeah, I mean, straight to the, 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 the trade, the trading company or whatever. Right. right? I mean, I'll tell you, like, like to be honest, you know, here's what I hate. I hate when there's e-commerce entrepreneurs that are just starting out and they're looking to pr produce products with the same factories that work with, you know, massive brands. You know, every day we get get tons of e-commerce entrepreneurs that come to Sourceify and say, hey, you know, I want to work with the factories that run production for Gymshark or, you know, all these, you know, major e-commerce brands. And we say, look, you know, this factory literally is capable of producing 300,000 to 500,000 units a month, you know, and you're looking to produce maybe a few hundred units, you're literally going to take up maybe 0.1% of their capacity, mm. you know, you're never going to get the attention there that you should be getting. And so what we say is like, look, let's go work with a factory that, you know, wants to grow, and that's willing to uh, work with a company that's just starting out and looking to scale because, you know, even at the at the end of the day, there's so many fast growing e-commerce brands that transition factories, you know, Movement, Gymshark, Original Grain, all these companies didn't start uh, or the factories that they started producing with aren't the same factories that they work with today. And especially at that level, what they do is they're never single sourced. And, and that's something that e-commerce entrepreneurs should really think about as they grow is, you know, let's say someone, so something happens with the factory that you're producing your products at you know, a fire or God forbid, who knows what, you know, all of a sudden you don't have a factory that can produce your product. And mm -hmm. if it's a very specialized product, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, you're going to be scrambling and it's probably going to take you at least three months to really figure out uh, a second source or really to, you know, get, get the ball rolling with that product again. And so at scale, you never want to be single sourced. And so you want to diversify your supply chain and by that, it could mean, you know, outside of China. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, stick in China. Um, it, it really depends on, you know, what kind of product you're producing. But at scale, you never want to be single sourced. No, no. I, yeah, I agree. I think that goes with anything, right? We don't want to be relying on one channel. We don't want to be relying on one product. We don't want to be relying on one, one supplier. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think we all need to be thinking about that um, and, and really kind of like covering all bases there. I mean, it's important um, because the business rides on that. Right. Um, so yeah. let me ask you this. So, okay. Uh, someone's listening to this, um, and they are like, well, I've already got my supply down and everything's going, going well. Would they still be, would, would it still benefit them to just say, let me just go ahead and look into what else is out there by going down this path. And maybe I can save 10 or 20, maybe even 30% by doing this and the quality would be the same, if not maybe even better. And maybe my lead times are less. Like, do you think it's worth going down that road? 
Yeah, I mean, 100%. And especially if you have some extra time on your hands at, at night, you know, most e-commerce entrepreneurs that I know, just because time differences, you know, they deal with factories at night. And, and so what I would say is, look, you know, price doesn't always refre- reflect quality. And so with that said, you should always be open-minded when it comes to your supply chain. You know, I'm not saying go invest, you know, 10000 or $30,000 in an injection mold at another facility. But what I'm saying is that if it's a, you know, relatively simple product, you can go, you know, produce another sample elsewhere. And even if, it, if it's a factory that's really looking to grow, sometimes they won't even charge you for that sample. And especially, you know, if they know you're a big company, they'll produce samples for free. Mm. Um, and, and so really, that's that's the beauty of it. I, I think, you know, as you grow in the e-commerce world, you have more, you know, say and get more attention from these factories. You know, I know our supply chain team gets hit up, you know, daily by about a dozen plus different factories looking to become a part of Sourceify. And, you know, we probably turn down 90 percent of them because most of them are trading companies or most of them just don't fit uh, our, our, you know, what we do. And so it's this kind of dynamic that you have to understand as an e-commerce entrepreneur. And, you know, everyone that's been to uh, any of the Canton fairs or, you know, magic sourcing shows knows that, you know, once you go around and hand out a few business cards, these factories don't stop emailing you. And so it's uh, just that that dynamic there that every factory is looking to grow. And, you know, their their kind of business development process is, in my mind, a bit sideways right now. So so if OK, so just let let's kind of walk through that process then, because like I'm looking at this two different ways, like someone is looking to source a brand new product. And, and, and then going through that process and then also, or maybe saying, like you said, taking an existing product and just getting another sample from another company or another factory. Um, so how, how does that work going through, um, you know, your service and your tool to be able to do this? Like what's required on my end and what kind of a process is that? Like, how do I communicate? Like, just kind of take me through that process. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, we try to make sourcing and manufacturing as simple as possible. Basically, someone comes to us with uh, their tech pack, spec sheet or CAD. They submit it on our platform that gets sent out to our partner factories in that product category. The partner factories see, you know, your request as a request for quote. They submit back a price quote. You see the price quotes from our partner factories then can get linked up to start producing samples. And, you know, once you confirm samples, you can go through a production run. And really the beauty of it is as, you know, each step in production is complete, you see a clear timeline, you see a status update of what's going on. Because, you know, I remember uh, for me as an e-commerce entrepreneur myself too, you know, I would email factories, hey, what's going on with production? Hey, you know, when's uh, when should I schedule freight? You know, or even if I'm in the sampling stage, hey, you know, what's going on with the, the sample, you know, there's so much back and forth that happens through a manufacturing run that it causes such a headache. And really what we've done is basically create software for factories to better manage production, which enables these e-commerce companies to have more visibility and transparency into their supply chain. And then, you know, when it comes to freight forwarding, we plug into, you know, freight forwarding partners like Flexport or Freightos or, you know, also work with some uh, more you know Chinese oriented uh, freight forwarders as well. Okay. So, I mean, basically, so if I, if I go to Sourceify, I basically just, I just start, I obviously I'd sign up for an account and then I'd have to go through that process as far as like, uh, you know, and it's kind of probably like straightforward where I'm going to walk through, it's going to give me the steps that I have to basically give them to take it to the next step. 
Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'll be completely transparent with everyone that's tuning in. You know, right now we're better suited for companies that are uh, spending six figures or more on production a year. I mean, we work with some companies that are spending $10,000 or so on production uh, a run, but, um, you know, very rarely just operationally speaking right now, do we have the capacity to deal with companies that are, you know, just looking to produce uh, 300 units or something. Right, right, right. Okay. And, and that, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so if anyone wants to check that out, uh, definitely head over to, uh, I'll give them a short link, uh, the amazing forward slash sourceify. And, um, you can check that out. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of looked at what you were doing before I had you on. Obviously I wanted to kind of understand it and you and I had a, a great conversation at seller labs and I know Steve Chu speaks highly of you. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that are, um, they're, they're trying to create a way to, uh, take, take advantage of the e-commerce sellers, um, mm-hmm. by offering tools or whatever. Um, this I actually find, find very helpful, um, because, and I, and I, obviously it's, it's about people that are behind the company and, and I, I know you and, uh, I, I kind of know what you stand for, but I like it that you're basically, you're a platform that vets out these, these manufacturers, these companies for us, and then directly puts us in contact with those people. So exactly. it's just a different angle. I like it because it's kind of like a marketplace for, um, like if you were having vir- you know, a virtual assistant. If you had a virtual mm-hmm. assistant, you know, like FreeUp, they they have a, a service that basically goes out there and they vet all yep. of the top people that are, you know, doing certain tasks. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's trusted because you've kind of vetted them out. And that's exactly what we're doing here on Sourceify, which I like. Um, and again, depending on where you are in your business, it may make sense now and it might make sense to do it later. Um, but I do love this because we're able to kind of go direct to the manufacturer and then possibly cut cost later. You know, which is cool. And, you know, for me, I I would love to help everyone. You know, really, I want to make our threshold lower and lower in terms of being able to help smaller and smaller production runs. It's just where we're at, you know, as a company, operationally speaking, it makes more sense to deal with larger production runs. Um, And and then at the end of the day, too, you know, a lot of these sourcing companies are going to charge buyers. You know, they charge you whatever it may be. Um, for us, we actually make our money from partner factories. And that's why I brought up, you know, earlier in the podcast, how these factories grow from a factory perspective, we're their best source of business. So instead of them having to pay for, you know, Alibaba or global sources or go to all these trade shows around the world, you know, they're paying us for the the deal flow they bring them. And so it's completely free for you as a uh, entrepreneur or a company that's looking to source and manufacture products more effectively. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense too, because also that means you want these companies to do well, because if, if they do well, they're going to be around and they want, or you want them to do well, because then we're going to be satisfied and we're going to keep having you keep sourcing the product. So mm-hmm. it, it just makes sense. It's a win-win for everyone. And I don't have to pay up front, you know, $2,000 for you to go out there and make all this happen. It's only based off of the product that actually gets run through that manufacturer. And hopefully I'm a long-term customer for that manufacturer. So it just makes, it it makes sense, you know, and, uh, I think it's, it's a great model. Um, and so, okay, so let's, let's kind of wrap up with another big one that I know a lot of people are, uh, are thinking here, and maybe you can shed some light on it. What do we have to start thinking about, about any new tariffs or anything? Maybe we can dig into that one there. Cause that, yeah. I know that's another hour conversation, but let's just kind of give them a summary and, and maybe yeah. what to be thinking about. Yeah. You had to bring it up, huh? <laughs> well, you know, you know. <laughs> here's the 
thing with these Chinese tariffs, and it's crazy. I mean, the media is hyping it up a lot. You know, I, I was in a few media outlets last week in regards to these tariffs. And right now, you know, the uh, the tariff codes that these tariff uh, new tariffs are, are targeting basically aren't really around the consumer products that most e-commerce sells, sell, sellers sell, but there is new tariffs that are coming out that are supposed to hit, uh, I think, early January 2019 that could have you know a massive effect. And these tariffs are a 25% increase, which basically means you know the PO value uh, when you import your product, you have to pay a 25% higher duty. And so really for e-commerce entrepreneurs, Right now, I wouldn't be too scared, but keep an eye on it. And there are also petitions online that enable you to try to, you know, push back on these tariffs. So, you know, you can actually uh, support, you know, lobbyists that are against these tariffs. Um, and, and really, you know, at the end of the day, I, I honestly am not sure why the American government is putting these tariffs in place. I mean, obviously, they want to make more money, but I think it's hurting both our economy and the Chinese economy. And I'll break it down real quick because. You know, when companies here in America that are importing products from China have to pay 25 percent more uh, duty tax, you know, they basically now either have to put that 25 percent onto their factories or increase the cost for American consumers. And so this is going both ways because now there's a lot of pressure on Chinese factories to lower their costs or a lot of pressure on American consumers to pay more for these products. Because, you know, most of these companies, they can't just eat that, you know, 25% increase. You know, they've got to uh, be able to find a way to offset that increased cost. And so what that means is, you know, at scale, these companies are working with their factories to try to lower costs even more. And it's a balance between increasing their, you know, sell, sell price here in America and trying to lower their unit cost. But really what we've seen at Sourceify is a lot of these companies looking to diversify their supply chain outside of China very fast. I mean, a lot of companies who haven't been producing in India or Vietnam or the Philippines or Cambodia now are trying to transition very fast. Um, and for some products, it's easy. You know, if it's a cut and sew type of product, it's not too hard to train uh, factory workers how to produce something like that. But if it's a you know very technical product, that a lot of these tariffs are more targeted towards, it's really hard to transition your supply chain that fast because you know you have to train these factory workers actually how to produce these products. And you know, if you're spending tens of millions on production, you know, you're producing at volume, it's gonna be very hard to train a you know 300 or 500 or you know thousand person facility how to manufacture that product. So it's really uh, having a large impact on more industrial and agriculture type of products right now. But I think you know, the new tariffs have some effect on e-commerce entrepreneurs. Like I know shoes were one of the products that were potentially on the list. And, you know, it's crazy, like 70% of the world's shoes are produced in China. So all of these products are, uh, you know, might see an increased cost or will have to transition outside of China very fast. I mean, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. So what I'm hearing though is, is, is like a lot of companies are probably that are, are worried about this, that are primarily in China are going to start looking for other sourcing and that's going to be outside of China. And yeah, they already have. I mean, that's, you know, usually I just stick to China on my trips. I mean, that's why this this year I've been to Thailand, Vietnam, and the Philippines already, and you know I'll be back there again. Okay, yeah. So all right, yeah. I mean that's uh, again. I mean it's 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 what 
could be coming. And again, as that backup plan, we probably should be doing that anyway. So why not start looking outside? I mean, of course, if your if your product can be can be uh, duplicated, you know, in another uh, you know in, in another factory in another country, that's the other big question. Like yeah. you said, without a ton of of training or or any of yeah. that stuff. I mean, the other thing I want to bring up real quick, just briefly, is that you know a lot of the raw material is actually still coming from China when you're producing in these other countries. So like you know a lot of factories in Vietnam, for example. They actually get the, the let's say you're producing uh you know shirts or you know hats or whatever it may be they actually get that raw material from china so it's something you've got to keep in mind even as an e-commerce entrepreneur that's growing is okay well you know now i maybe need to give my factory a bit more lead time to actually import the raw material from china or wherever they're getting that you know raw material from so it's you know really uh increasing the lead time in some sense of a lot of these companies cool all right. Yeah, no, this was, this was great. Very, very educational and definitely gave me some things to think about. And I think everyone listening, um, you know, has, has gotten a lot, especially that there's probably room to improve your margins, uh, probably more than you think. And, you know, I think in the beginning, you know, and I think that's one big mistake a lot of new entrepreneurs make, especially in the e-commerce is they, they don't realize that the cost up front might be a little bit higher. Your margins might be less, but you're able to get to market. You're able to test and validate that market or that product or those products in your, in your brand. But eventually we could go outside of that, which we should, and start bringing that cost down without compromising quality. I think this is a great solution right here. And, uh, and then really targeting to, to get that margin better and that, that profit margin better. So yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. This has been awesome uh, to, to really just have you on, you know, hear your story. I'm sure I'm going to have to have you back on and get some updates and, uh, and and probably just give us some more some more stuff that we can implement to really diversify our supply chain and not just rely on that one. So anything else you want to wrap up with, Nathan, before we uh, we, we finally wrap up here? Yeah, I mean, happy to help anyone. You know, if anyone wants to reach out, feel free. My uh, you know LinkedIn is just Nathan Resnick. It's probably the best way to get in touch or just go to trysourceify.com. And Scott, you know, really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I really do appreciate it. And I will link everything up in the show notes. And uh, I'm sure I'll be in touch. And uh, I'm sure that a lot of people listening will be in touch as well. Um, very interesting. And just a great story too, Nathan. I mean, man, living in uh, in China and um, seeing some fish flopping around in the sink. Uh, <laughs> that's That's got to be some eye-opening stuff right there. So, all right, man. Hey, I appreciate it. I won't take up any more of your time. I appreciate it. I know the TAS audience appreciates it. Um, I'll be in touch. All right. So there you have it. I wasn't kidding, right? A lot of great information, eye-opening stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be looking into this myself. Again, talking about like diversifying your channels, but diversifying your suppliers is another thing that we should be thinking about. So definitely some things to think about. I would definitely reach out to Nathan if you're interested at all, even just picking his brain. I mean, he's just a great guy. He'll, he'll help you in any way that he can. But if you just wanted to reach out to him or even try their service, um, definitely, definitely check them out. And uh, I will link everything up, thing up in the show notes. Again, the amazing seller.com forward slash source of And again, I'll link that up in the show notes. So you can go to the amazing seller.com forward slash 558 for all of those show notes and all of the links and everything that we discussed will be there as well. All right, guys. So that is going to wrap up this episode. I have to remind you once again, remember, I am here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud, take 
action. Have an awesome, amazing day, and I'll see you right back here on the next episode.